0: Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com.
1: This episode of TWIP is brought to you by the new voice-activated sync featuring hands-free calling, music, and podcast search, along with turn-by-turn navigation. Available exclusively on Ford, Lincoln, and Mercury vehicles. For more details, visit SyncMyRidePodcast.com. And enter to win a free Nano or Zune. Just send a tweet with the hashtag SyncMyRidePodcast. This week on TWiP, something entirely new. Questions and answers. We take on a slew of listener questions and do our best to answer them. Sit back and enjoy this special Q&A in episode 119 of This Week in Photography. And we're back for another exciting episode of This Week in Photography. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. And today is a kind of a special show. We're doing, by popular request, a QA show. So we've got. We, we have and have been getting tons and tons of questions from the, the TWIP listeners and uh, what we decided to do or actually what Alex decided to do <laughs> was to make this <laughs> like show never. a Q&A show. So if you haven't already jumped into well, the live folks that are listening to this live, uh, jump into the uh, chat room at, uh, where is that at, Alex? This is at tv. Yeah, jump in there and you can ask questions to me and the other folks on the show who are Alex, Lindsay. Hey, Alex. Hi there, uh, Mr. Ron Brinkman. Hey, Ron. Hello. And Mr. Joseph Lenashki. Hey, Joseph. Good morning. So this is a. It's going to be a very interesting show. It'll be. Uh, Kind of free form, and it'll be it'll be really boring if no one asks any. questions. If no one asks anything, it's going to be boring. Or like one guy asks different questions. <laughs> you know,
0: we really thought that this would be this would be an interesting thing to do. We, we we want to find ways to interact with the audience a little bit more. Now, down the road, what our hope is is to actually have people calling in. You know, using either Skype or or using uh, TalkShoe or or a variety of other uh, options. Um, and so uh, so this is um, kind of where we're going. But the first step we thought we'd try just having people. Um, do Q&A with the IRC. So if you're in the IRC and you're listening, if you're in the IRC and you're not listening, I'm not sure exactly what you're doing, but if you're in the IRC um, and you have a question, uh, please uh, go ahead and come up to the, um, you know, go to the IRC and ask us a question and we'll see what we can do. So we have uh, uh, the first question that we had that already popped up here. Um, uh, I have an Epson. This is from uh, Web927.
2: Uh, incidentally, people, if you want us to use your real name, when you log into the chat thing, you can type in your name as opposed to the default one, so we don't have to call you web 927. Yeah. Oh, and, and this is a good idea. If you have a question,
0: put question colon, and then your question. That way we know that you're doing a question and not commenting uh, randomly. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the first question is, is, I have an Epson 1800 printer. I calibrate my monitor, and the photos look great on my monitor, but when I print, the colors seem to be a little off.
2: How do I correct this issue? Ron? How do does? They- <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who wrote the book on this stuff? Short, short answer is that at some level you can't uh, just because print and monitors are different beasts and they may not be able to display the same kind of color gamut. Um, but uh, having said that, you probably can get a little bit closer. I mean, there are there are calibration tools that will calibrate print devices as well to give a better sense of what's going on. You know, basically, it's just this, a tool for building a mapping between what's the digital value of the color and what comes out of whatever device you're looking at, be it a monitor, uh, or a printer. So, uh, depending on how you, know, you want it, how deeply you want to get into it, you can get color calibration tools that will let you put the sensor on a piece of paper and understand, you know, how does red coming out of the digital realm translate to red on your printer. It'll help you dial it in more, or you can just kind of eyeball it too, which I do a lot of times. Um, You know, and and sort of adjust your profiles depending on what you're on. Different tools will let you sort of manually adjust some of your profiles. Uh, And you may also just want to look around around the web, see if there are specific color profiles for your printer that you're not using.
1: Very good. Perfect. All right. Next question up is from Andrew E. Uh, Joseph, I'm going to give you this one. He says, can you guys talk about the differences between a beauty dish, a ring flash, and a softbox?
3: Oh, wow. Um, you know, it, it just, of course, depends entirely on what you're shooting. Um, and it's a lot of personal preference. The beauty dish seems to be very popular these days, just gives a really, really nice, soft, all around light. Um, I'm a big fan of the softbox, And I'm using a really big one. I actually have a four by six foot softbox that I've been using a lot lately as a sole light source. It just really wraps around very nicely because it's such a huge source. Keep it really close to the subject and it wraps around the subject. Uh, and you just need the one light. You don't even need to fill it. It works out beautifully. Uh, umbrella tends to be a little bit harder. Nowhere near as hard, of course, as just shining straight on the subject, but the umbrella is definitely a harder light that will give you a, a direct shadow. I've actually never used the beauty dish myself. Um, That's something I'll have to have to give a try sometime. And I think the ring light was the other one. Um, Ring light is extremely even light since the camera lens literally sticks through the light. It started off mostly in macro photography. It was great because you couldn't get a a flash that was on top of the camera anywhere near close enough without causing weird shadows. So they developed these ring lights that wrap around the lens and gave a really nice even light for macro photography. But again, they become quite popular for... Uh, for fashion work as well, again, just giving you really solid, really even uh, shaded light around the subject, and it puts a really nice catch light. You get a nice round catch light in the subject eyes. I've never, again, never shot with one of the really big ring lights that are kind of popular now, but uh, it's just, just a different look
1: yeah and just to, to piggyback, piggyback on that that different look because you are shoot like Joseph was saying just because you're, or because you 're shooting through the light and it 's a ring right because you 're shooting through it, it gives you depending on your distance from the light to your subject either shadowless or kind of a a slight dark halo around the subject and uh, you know like joseph was saying that that sort of signature ring catchlight in the eyes looks looks really cool. All right, and, and that's, that's a
0: great one. We should; those are the kind of things that we should, in the future, do videos on. Yeah, you know.
1: So we'll start taking notes. All right. of those. Videos. Yeah. Videos. Videos in the feed. All right. Uh, next question is from Into the Touch, and Alex, I'm going to give you this one. Uh-oh. It says, "For those on a budget, can you recommend a budget level SLR?" Thanks, John. I well, I think
0: w- what. I can talk about the, the process
1: mm-hmm. of, uh, uh, maybe I'm asking the wrong person. Yeah, <laughs> budget yeah, exactly. level.
0: It's yeah. like Scott Bourne. What's the cheap? List? Yeah, I, I'm, <laughs> Scott's, I'm kind of taking Scott's <laughs> position. I buy lots of expensive cameras. Yeah. Um, uh, no, I, I think that, uh, when I talk to people who are, uh, doing this the, the great thing the great news is is almost all the dslrs are are great what you want to be looking at though is the upstream where you're really going to start spending money over time is your lenses and so the lens systems and and where you're going to want to go you're going to change that body you're going to get better and you're going to decide okay it's time for me to get a, a more expensive uh body but you're going to hopefully uh, spend a reasonable amount of money on your lenses. If you're going to put money into the body or the lens at the beginning, mm-hmm. you definitely want to put it into the into the lenses. You know, the body is just a sensor. You know, and, and it has lots of little features. I think that the the two you know SLRs that I would look at, I. I haven't done enough testing to really say that that the Sony isn't particularly good or the Fuji isn't particularly good, but the two leaders are really Nikon and Canon. So yep. the Nikon with the D80, I think, it's, right. The, uh, isn't there a, D, so. yeah. D80? a D80? And then the and then and then Canon, of course, has the Rebel series, yep. and both of those are great. Yeah. You know, and and what's going to make those even better is really having a uh, a great lens. And and if you're on a budget, mm-hmm. you know, for four or five hundred dollars, you can get a, a Rebel with a 50 millimeter 1.8. It's not as good as the 1.4, but it's yep. only $100 for that lens. And if you're taking pictures of friends and family, you will find that those pictures turn out great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, and, yeah, and that's the... Exactly. And, and if you're getting Better started... not having the camera, If someone right? said, I, you know, I want to take pictures... Now, if you want to take pictures of landscapes and everything else, that's a whole other set of, of problems. I, I have to admit, I used to take lots and lots of pictures of landscapes, and I found that the ones that I kept were the people. Mm-hmm. You know, you know. So, so then I got really much more interested in taking pictures of people, of, of uh, my friends when I was in high school, of, you know... Um, Random people sometimes. Uh, I yeah. used to go to Philadelphia every weekend with a friend and we just take pictures of people at South Street, which yeah. was a, um, That's a
1: really good exercise, by the way. Um, and we may do a photo of, uh, this weekend photography photo walk on this yeah. on how to, and it sounds weird, but as a photographer, how to invade strangers personal space i used to, zoom to get lens. the photo <laughs> no 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 the exercise would be using a 50 right a 50 right. mil lens how you get in there ask permission get the photo and right. get out you know right. so you're traveling somewhere to people that don't even know a your language. walk how might, you do might it. really scare them it's like a swarm well yeah yeah it would You'd have like to a be a people. photo meander <laughs> a but, but the, the uh i i think that um
0: if you if you're interested in taking pictures of people uh then i think that the a great solution is something like, and I'm, because I use Canon gear, I'd probably be leaning towards, um, you know, a Rebel, uh, but a, a Rebel with a one point eight fifty. The whole package is going to cost you five hundred dollars or less, and you're going to find that your pictures are uh, head and shoulders over what you're getting on a a, a um, you know your little point and shoot. A point mm-hmm. and shoot is great. It's great because you have it in your pocket. It's available. You take the picture. Yep. But when you start taking them with a with a, a short ap- you know, with a with a wide aperture. Uh, you're going to f- start finding that uh, you don't want to go back.
2: And you know, just, one, one thing I will say, the quest- question always comes up whenever um, pe- people first of all ask, you know, what's a good budget-level camera? And the answer to is, like, well, you should probably at least go with at least consider nikon and canon uh, but then of course the question is well which one mm-hmm. and the answer i usually give is well do you know anybody you can borrow lenses from Because mm-hmm. right. a lot of times you know if, you, if you've got a buddy who's a canon shooter and is the kind of person that would be willing to let you borrow lenses then it's sort of like no brainer okay i'll, I'll get one of those just because i know i could borrow some of these lenses uh, so that might be a deciding factor yeah and one other
1: thing just on that ron that was a perfect segue uh A quick thank you to uh, borrowlenses.com that that sponsored the This Week in Photography workshop that we had last week. So if you're looking to get one of these budget SLRs, DSLRs, what I would do is go to Borrow Lenses or Lens Rentals or or your favorite rental place and get one. I mean, you can borrow one and rent one for practically nothing for a couple days. Play with it. And, uh, you know, when you make the decision to buy one, you can rent a Nikon or in a Canon and see what all the fuss is about, find out which one fits you the best, and then buy it later if you need to. So, And, and one thing I will say is, is
0: after doing some shooting and after doing a lot of... Of uh, you know, looking between we have a lot of uh, Pixel members that have both Nikon and Canon. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say for the kind of stuff we do for the video and the integrated stuff that we're doing, we really like the 70s and the 5Ds. Yeah. Uh, if I was doing special effects, if I was only doing special effects photography, so stuff for reference photos, stuff for set uh, calculations and stuff. I have to say at this point, I would use a Nikon.
1: What would be your desert island camera? Mm. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, because the, 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 uh, you know we we own these cameras, I, you know. Here's the funny thing is, is that I'd be leaning towards Nikon um, because I have better low light performance. Mm-hmm. I have. Here's the frustrating thing that I have, and a lot of my complaints about the Canon, uh, and I uh, this is speaking to someone who owns five of them, uh, five bodies, and a whole bunch of lenses. Um, is my my big complaint with Canon? I like the video processing that it does better than the, than the Nikon right now, mm-hmm. and that's why we bought them. That's how I use them. But my complaint really is that the the firmware, the action on the Nikon I like better, number one. It just feels smoother when I'm working with it. I think that the focus is faster on a Nikon. And the next thing, the, the, the two big things for effects photography is the Nikon will bracket nine exposures. So if you're shooting HDR, mm-hmm. um, you don't have to have anything extra. You don't have to have an external device. You don't have to have another controller. Just in the camera, you can set it. And I just push that button, and it's going to fire off nine boom, boom, boom. nine exposures yeah. two, you know, two uh, stops apart. Yeah. Um, the second thing is that the Nikon does time-lapse built into the camera. So there's no external time-lapse control. Mm-hmm. Um, that and, and those two things are useful for me. Uh, in those areas, and it's kind of a bummer. And, and what's really the bummer about that is that that is just firmware. Yeah, you know, there's no reason that not, that Canon can't provide that to us. And I don't know what goes through their their head. Joseph, what's your uh, what's
1: your desert island camera?
3: Well, I'd I have to be spoiled and say I want to keep the camera that I've got now, the Mark III. I just I love that camera. I love the feel of it. And whenever I use the five D or anything else, I just it doesn't have this solid feel in my hands, and I just don't enjoy using it anywhere near as much. So. I'm going to keep with the one that I can use both to take pictures and hunt with, since I could, you know, beat something to death with that camera. It's so <laughs> solid. I mean, there was a question or a response that came by in the chat here from Alex C that says, "In talking with our photographer, the D3s have superior exposure, but the Canons have better autofocus, video, and burst." And I want to comment on that. It's, it's interesting because it really does depend on people's experience. In my experience, I had borrowed a D3, it was a D, yeah, D3, not a D3s, uh, during the Olympics, and I shot for a day with that and. I was not impressed with the exposure at all. It just seemed to never, never be right. I always had to tweak it, uh, but the focus worked just fine. My Canons, I have no problem with exposure, I absolutely love those, and the focus works great as well. So it really just does depend on, on your personal experience.
1: Do you think that was a problem with that particular body, or is it systemic to the line? <laughs>
3: You know, that's hard to say. Um, it's the only V3 that I had used, so it's it's kind of hard to say well, that. Well, I, but I that think, my you experience. know, exposure
2: is, is a funny beast, right, because there's so many sort of intelligent metering modes that you can have dialed in, and they're not going to be the same algorithm between cameras. So just sort of getting comfortable with your camera is part of that, you know, understanding, okay, how, what percentage of the frame is it metering whenever it's uh, doing this? You know, what's it set to? So I mean, there's definitely going to be differences between, you know, even different models of uh, the same manufacturer, but certainly between different manufacturers. Sure. Yeah.
1: All right. Let's take some more questions from the chat room. Next one up is from GDW. GDW says, has a G10, what flash would be the best? 270EX? Two, two I'm assuming that's a question. Um,. You know, that's a good question because I still have my G9, though I'm playing with the G11 that a friend of mine let me borrow. But I still have the G9 and I'm still loving it. And the only flash that I've stuck on it is the 580 EX, mm-hmm. and it works brilliantly on that thing, uh, both on and off. So. You know, it's, it's hard to say. It depends. The, I guess the, the answer to that question, GDW, is that it depends on what you're shooting and how much power you need. If you're, if you're doing macro photography with the G10, then you could probably get away with something that's going to put out less power like a 270. But if you want to do some portraiture you need much more power, then scale up. And again, get whatever you can afford because like lenses, your strobes are probably going to be with you longer than that camera body. So just get get what you can afford, and then move on. So here we have a question, and we've talked about this in the past, but um,
0: I think it's useful, and I think we have to, we have to be careful about it. We have to, uh, but. Uh People ask me about storage, like, how do we handle storage and backup and, and everything else? And Fred goes, oh, don't oh, ask me no. that question. So That's one thing a we, hot potato. One thing we're going to say is that Fred works for Drobo. I do. And so, uh, but but before, so, so Fred Fred's just going to sit and listen to us talk for a second.
1: And if they say something wrong, I'm just going to grunt. Yeah, he's going, mm, but he's not going to say anything. <laughs> but, but how do you guys uh,
0: uh, handle, Ron, I'll start with you. How do you handle your backup?
2: Um, In in particular, I don't know if this is the same question you're reading from. I'm looking at the one that's particularly asking about uh, storage workflow for RAW images and and also sort of uh, RAW versus JPEG and what you store there. So I'll I'll try to give a real quick description of what I do from both perspectives. First of all, I keep all of my RAWs, but then I also process everything and create a JPEG out of it. Uh, I use Aperture, but you could be using Lightroom. So I basically... Uh, ensure that i have sort of a jpeg of everything i've done and i'll go through and i'll tweak some of them some of the generic stuff i mean there's you know the throwaway shots i won't do that but sort of anything i'll probably pass it through uh and create a jpeg equivalent of it it's just you know it never hurts to have two different versions jpegs are obviously uh everywhere and just sort of knowing i have a lightweight jpeg uh, equivalent of just about everything i've shot is sort of a nice insurance policy and what it also lets me do is toss a lot more files onto my laptop, uh, just to have you know my library on my laptop if I want to show stuff off, but still have the raw files kept somewhere on my bigger machine in terms of the actual storage material you know a medium where I keep stuff you know i 'm a freak for backup, so uh, I keep stuff on the local machine I do make a clone of that disk to a drobo which is a you know a nice uh, redundant backup system and then i use a cloud backup i use backblaze which i absolutely love uh and everything gets shoved into the cloud so i have everything in three places and i wouldn't really now, consider a scenario with less than that do, do you do you put do you
0: have uh every file every photo you shoot in three places or just the ones you want to keep
2: i have pretty much everything in three places yeah right yeah i mean you know Storage is cheap. You know, it's. I mean, the, it's a lot cheaper than trying to go back and reshoot those pictures uh, exactly, you take from Japan or Iceland Yeah, I just bought a, a you know a two terabyte drive for hundred and thirty dollars. The you know the, the Christmas specials are on, uh, so you know I've got more than enough space locally. Uh, Backblaze is fifty bucks a year, and I've got you know like about a terabyte backed up to that. So, you know, this is not a high cost item anymore to ensure that you have redundancy. You know, the, the real issue is is no longer one really of the cost of backup so much as the cost of your time of setting everything up and just making sure you have a good system that's sort of reasonably automated and lightweight for doing these backups.
0: Yeah. It's it's important, though. I mean, we the, the saying I think people have heard us say on the show is that at the office, uh, uh, you know, something doesn't exist until it exists in two places, you know, not a file, you know, because you just have to always be thinking it's got to be in two separate places, uh, And and Fred says three. And,
2: uh, I, I agree. I think three is, you know, I mean, I have had a hard drive crash while it was cloning to right. the drobo, right? Right. So they both go off because the, the source drive crashed. Bad data started happening there. That got cloned over to the backup disk. Uh, and, and so I lost two drives simultaneously from one hardware failure. So I totally agree. Three places is sort of the minimum to really feel comfortable. Right. Joseph?
3: Uh, well, i got to go back to it's the starting point of shooting, and this is another reason that I love the Mark III. It has the two card slots, and I know that the, the high-end Nikons do as well. When I'm shooting with that camera, I'll shoot RAW to the CF card and JPEG simultaneously to the uh, to the uh, SD awesome. card in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you know, I always have a backup file. And the Nikons, I, actually, I think they actually do it a step better because they have two CF card slots, and you can to, shoot simultaneous RAW into both cards or, or RAW and JPEG or whatever you need. Yeah, the anyway, once do, I'm... Yeah, it's, it's great to have that backup on the spot. Instantly, as soon as you press the shutter, you know you have two copies of the file and i've actually had uh, had images that were corrupt on the cf card before that i was able to pull out of the jpeg so you know it, it can be very much a lifesaver um then back at back at home back in the studio i will copy everything to the drobo and nothing comes off the card until it's on the drobo safely yeah. and i would love to say that i'm using backblaze to upload all my files up to the cloud but it's just too much data um i, I use backblaze for just my desktop you know, my, my main hard drive, but I got almost two terabytes of storage on the Drobo right now, and I just can't put all that up on Backblaze. It's just not possible. Yeah, so. Sure it is. Well, okay, <laughs> it'll take... Hey, if, you, if you start now and I
2: talk to you, in, in, you know, in six months, you'll be like, okay, they're finally all the way up there, but why not? Yep. I mean, that, that's kind of my point is that it's, you know, it, it's something that runs in the background. Let
3: it go, right? And uh, it'll eventually get up there. You know, you're right, but I felt that it was slowing down my system when it was going. So I had ended up scheduling it, so it only ran overnight. And even just uploading the half a terabyte of internal storage on my computer took six months or something. You know, run run
1: on that. Just a a quick piggyback on that. So I think part of that issue with cloud storage overall is you're on a conveyor belt. And depending on how much data you're creating on a weekly or daily basis, that conveyor belt could be running slower or faster than you. So, In in Joseph's case, he's shooting all these gigantic raw files with his his highfalutin Canon camera there. Um, He's going to be making, he may theoretically be making more data than will ever get uploaded. So he's always going to be losing the game. The only way I think around that for people like Joseph would be if there's a way for you to send them all of your files. So for Joseph to send that to terabytes of data up to
2: them to the cloud have them put it online and then from that point forward be Uh, incremental. uh, fair point yeah absolutely because i'm the kind of shooter that tends to shoot when i travel or something Mm -hmm. so i get a whole crap load of stuff but then yeah weeks will go by where i don't shoot anything right i think uh, i don't know for sure but i think the backup server is called crash plan crash has an option to let you mail them a hard drive yep they do and that's who i use
1: actually and they they let you do that you could send them actually uh, you can send them a drive but what I take it a step further um, because I don't necessarily – I want my friends to be my cloud. So um, what I'm planning on doing is, is co-locating a, a storage device that will not mm-hmm. be named with a, a friend of <laughs> mine. That then so i 'll give him a a fully loaded drive that has all my stuff on it, and then through crash plan, I can then connect those, and then from that point forward it 'll be incremental so that first upload is really just me driving to his house and dropping a drive off. And yeah. then from that point Absolutely. forward, it's, it's incremental. Very good point. Yep. Yeah.
0: And and we, I know where it sounds like we're. I think we move on we're mm-hmm. past storage now. But sure. but the, uh, but I do think it's an, it's an extremely important uh, subject, which is why we're talking about it so much. Is yep. that is that this is something that really eventually will get every photographer, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> where you can't find the. Pho- I have, you know, a long time ago, I had I have a little drive still sitting there that I. T- plan to take the disc savers which had a bunch of pictures of my kids and you know of, of one segment of their life you know like mm-hmm. a, six months of their life or whatever and i didn't have a backup or i lost the backup and uh and that drive went bad and so now i'm waiting to recover it you okay. know and it's one of those things that it was uh um uh and, and it's just something that you don't want to ever have to think about and you don't have to anymore uh even with i mean i do have to admit it, it's it, you get kind of Uh, memory shock when you start shooting with the Canon, you suddenly realize you're just firing off 25 megs every time you hit the trigger. One thing someone asked us, uh, one question that I thought was um, pretty interesting was uh, asking about do you, because of the resolution is so big on some of these cameras like the Canons, um, do we, you know, do you think about um, really having frame control when you're shooting or you just capture a bunch of stuff and edit?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's photographer dependent because I've worked with photographers that are just motor drive, machine gun, Charlie guys. It's just like brrr, everything is just, you know, capture as many frames as you can. And then other people in the way that I tend to shoot is back, you know, it's a throwback from my film days, you know, when every click of the shutter meant money. So, right. <laughs> you know, I tend to compose and shoot, recompose and shoot. And then, you know, maybe I'll shoot more now because I can, but I'm I'm not like just spraying, you know, motor drive action all over my subject. And
0: I, I think for me, you know, I, I know that... Uh, when I'm shooting, uh, I do, it. it's kind of the same thing where I will shoot, I'm always trying to get the right frame, the right lighting, everything in camera, you know, trying to get that just right. But especially when I see something happening, when somebody's doing something that I'm going to want, yeah. you know, so in the, the two big places are like when my son is doing something funny with, with something, or I'm on, I'm on a set on a shooting set and the guys are doing something with a motion control and I want to get. I want to get that photo. I want mm-hmm. that classic photo there. Yep. And I'll and I can shoot. You know, and then I'll shoot fifty images in in a couple minutes. You yep. know, or in a minute. Right. Because I'm just trying to find that right angle. You know, yep. and I'm just kind of moving it's around. Good to and, have that power, to, though. It's good to have the, the
1: ability to do that and not worry about it. But I I just think it should be and, used. You know, with great power comes great responsibility. Well, and, so. and this <laughs> is also where um, when you're firing off those those images
0: uh, is where I, one thing I didn't pay attention to enough is if you like to do a shoot that way. The other thing to remember is if you're shooting at full resolution, the speed of your card starts to catch up with you. Oh, if you start taking so I, when I was in a helicopter um, in Rio taking pictures of Christ the Redeemer going around wanting to take as many photos as I can because I'm paying you know, $800 for half an hour mm-hmm. to, to shoot mm-hmm. there. And, uh, and my, my camera kept on jamming up. It just kept on running. You know, it's like it's buffering. Because you should the, have just
1: brought the red camera with you. And just, I don't, you know, don't so. want to talk about it. <laughs> so
0: anyway, so the, uh, uh, but it was, it was uh, frustrating. I got a lot of great photos of yeah. it. But I, st- I realized I had to start pacing myself yeah. because I was getting ahead of the buffer. And the two options would have been to switch to JPEG, which would have buffered better, right. or to have faster cards. Now, the re- I'm really glad I didn't shoot JPEG because I screwed up some of the, exp- you know, your manual exposure because mm-hmm. you're moving so much. Yeah. And I screwed up some of them. Uh, coming around the front of Rio when we were doing kind of a wider stuff so everything looked blown out and when I brought him in I did some adjustments in, to the raw image and everything was
1: there so it was all good so that's the, the two sides of that you were going right. right. to I'm going to jump in and get some more of these questions they're coming in fast and furious uh, Joseph I'm going to throw this next one over to you again um, it's from Robert and he says can you, share your knowledge, can you share your workflow for your raw images do you keep the JPEGs you create from raw do you convert raw to DNG And how do you assure the viability of the images decades
3: from now? Sure. So going back to my original thing of shooting the RAW plus JPEG, once I know that the RAW file is secure, then those JPEGs get thrown away. So I don't keep those around. Um, I work in aperture, so everything goes into aperture and... Uh, there's a JPEG preview created inside of Aperture, so I know I have that JPEG file existing. And once I've done an edit, everything gets uploaded to you know all the all the good files. Of course, the retouch ones go up to SmugMug, and so as full res JPEG. So that's my kind of offsite JPEG storage, if you will. I don't do any conversion to DNG. Um, I guess I'm banking on the fact that Canon and companies like Nikon are big enough where their file format's going to be around for a while, so I don't worry too much about that. Although I suppose to be fair, everything should be out to JPEG at some point and sent offsite. That's probably a probably a wise thing to do if you're really concerned about the serious longevity of it.
1: Yeah, Mr. Brinkman, what about you? What do you think about that?
3: Yeah, I mean this is the kind of kind of what I was answering
2: earlier, uh, where I said that yeah, I I tend to make a JPEG copy of everything um, just to have it. It's you know it's a lighter weight equivalent. I can put it on my laptop and uh, sort of feel like I have redundancy in file format as well as in location. Great. All right. No, All right. So this is this is a great question. I'm just going to yeah. want uh, you read it. Um, so this is
0: uh, we've talked about this a lot, but it's a great opportunity to talk about it again. Uh, from Dark Macintosh, uh, the question is nice uh, name by the way. Yeah. <laughs> How high uh, do you think megapixels will go with the big companies, Nikon and Canon, etc. Um, the uh, and uh, the um, you know will they go higher than medium format?
2: So that's the question, and we're going to throw this one to Ron to start it. Uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine a world where we're not, uh, you know, 10 years from now saying, God, remember when we only had 50 megapixel cameras? I mean, I, you know, it's just going to keep going that the, the caveat for that though, is that there is... A physics issue with the lenses so we're already getting to the point where some of these very high resolution uh sensors can't resolve more than the lens does so that's probably going to end up being what's holding stuff back is is the lens technology is is going to not evolve as quickly as the sensors technology is uh and i suspect that at some point you're not going to see you know more than the 20 30 megapixels uh you know it's going to hover around that for a while yeah. And what about what do you guys think about the idea of technology sort
1: of diverging away from megapixels, maybe more into like, Ron, you, you're always talking about uh, more light sensitivity, but even further than that and in getting into creating in camera, high dynamic range images and that sort of thing with a single click instead of bracketing and doing it later in software.
2: Yeah, do you think that's totally. something that we need. Yeah, absolutely one hundred percent. That's that's where it's gonna go. I think, you know, we, we you can reasonably say that at the uh fifteen to twenty megapixels you've got on, on higher end cameras right now, uh you're you're past the point that a lot of lenses can can resolve to. Uh and so definitely, you know, for for me, especially as a photographer who tends to work. Outdoor most of the time, the dynamic range capture is the biggest issue for me. There's just too many scenes where I can't, you know, I've got bright sunlight coming in uh, and deep shadows in the same scene, and I just can't get it without doing some kind of bracketing. So having a higher dynamic range capability, not just, you know, capturing low light, but just capturing a broader dynamic range is very important to me. And then, of course, you've got to have... Tools that can can deal with that and do a better job of bringing in these highlights and shadows. Well, and, and I
0: definitely think that for me the priority is absolutely mm-hmm. uh, low light and dynamic range are far more important than megapixels at this point. If if we didn't if we didn't see a camera for the next ten years, an SLR that had more than twenty, you know, megapixels, and what what we saw was going up to twenty or thirty stops of dynamic range mm-hmm. and and being able to shoot in near darkness mm-hmm. you know those are the kind of things that are far more interesting i think for the average uh person uh, that are shooting whether they know it or not you know it's that whole cpu versus you know uh it's the whole you know the speed of your cpu versus you know everything else on your computer a lot of people will, will, will look at the cpu power and oh it's a 2.6 uh you know megahertz computer mm-hmm. uh but that's much less important than putting, for instance, rating three drives in your Mac Pro, or adding another ten gigs of RAM, or changing to SSD drives on your laptop, all of those things are going to make more of a difference, oftentimes in performance than just the CPU. Yeah. You know, and, and, and in it's, the same way with with this, I think for the average person, and I think more than anything else, with little what I what I'm hoping to see is in little. Uh, um, point-and-shoot cameras, that we're going to see a much uh, better low-light performance. I think some of the Nikon technology is moving into the new Nikon point-and-shoots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that makes more of a difference for the average person than it does for us. I mean, I think that you know, the average person, with their, they're going to Christmas parties, and they're going to birthday parties, and they're doing all these things. That low-light performance is more important to them uh, than pixel resolution, uh, almost all the time. I mean, I think the average person could have a three megapixel camera if it had the if it had the sensitivity that the D three had.
1: Yeah, I think you know, I think if you, if you look at it from a slightly different perspective, I think um, it, we as photographers need to consider who the audience is for our work, right? Yeah. So if you're shooting in, and, and of course, you know, I, I agree completely. Low light sensitivity is you know, give me that over megapixels any day. But also, you need to consider when you're determining whether how many megapixels you need. um, Where are you going with this? Are you are all your images going directly to Flickr and SmugMug all the time, or are you creating fine art? pieces that you're selling for thousands of dollars and you need to create poster size prints. Are you, you know, working for somebody that's demanding a certain resolution? Are you putting them on iStock photo and you're doing the stock photography thing, which demands a certain level of resolution. Um, so you need to take all these things into consideration is there's no one right answer about, well, you know, I think we should, you know, everything, the megapixels are going to stop, you know, we need to go into this direction. I think it all depends on There'll be a market for both, you know, I guess is what I'm saying, because there's all kinds of photographers and all kinds of ways that people consume photography. Hey, guys, just a quick pause to let you know that TWIP is sponsored by the new Ford Voice Activated Sync. This thing listens to your voice, so all you have to do while driving is order it around. You can tell it to play your favorite playlist, artist, or even podcast, like TWIP, for example. You can get turn-by-turn navigation, traffic updates, or even ask it for the weather. And the cool thing is all of your media is accessible with just a few words. If you'd like to learn more about the new Ford Sync, just head over to SyncMyRidePodcast.com. And if you want to enter to win a brand new Zune or Nano, just tweet with the hashtag SyncMyRidePodcast. Again, to learn more about this new tech, hit SyncMyRidePodcast.com and enter to win a brand new Nano or Zune. Just by tweeting with the hashtag SyncMyRidePodcast
0: Now here's a, here's a question from Ravenscroft uh, He said, what, what would be the best way In your opinion A uh, way to get a good shot of a fire breather He's got a Canon 40D And a 50mm 1.2 Nice Who wants to jump in on that one?
1: I think Joseph should take Joseph. that one
0: <laughs> You're the one who's well, into the fire. Joseph, <laughs> Joseph
1: went on the SEAL tour and, you know, was in all kinds of weird predicaments taking photos of things in near darkness. So, come on, Joseph. And, and I actually
3: <laughs> did have to take a picture of a fire breather. Unfortunately, all I had was my iPhone. So, um, you know what? It actually turned out pretty good. <laughs> um, well, let's see here. So, fire breathing. Goodness. I would say you're going to need to use a slightly slower, slower shutter speed than you might normally with a, with flash photography, maybe go with um, you know, 60th or 125th because you're going to want to not only capture the, the glorious movement of the flame, but you're also going to want to capture the ambient light that that's going to cast all over the place. So it's going to cast on the ground and and you know the people standing around, whatever's around there. That's, there's going to be a lot of ambient light coming off of that big burst of flame. But you're also going to want the strobe to fill in... The, the person himself to make sure that you've got that person frozen in time. So I think a a bit of a flash and a slightly slower shutter speed is what you're going to end up with.
1: Nice. And what Joseph when you when you were on tour and you know just just a quick glimpse into that. I know you did a big blog post on it on your on your your blog, but when you're shooting in a in a situation where you have a completely sort of dark Audience area and a spotlight on a celebrity on stage. Um, how did you handle that? How do you handle you know situations like that?
3: Well, the lights moving constantly, right out there. It's a, it's a rock show. So you got lights all over the place, constantly moving. And you basically, you know, if I'm trying to capture the artist and the audience, then you're just waiting for that moment when the spotlights sweep across the audience and play with the exposure. And it's a lot of chimping, you know, it's a lot of just shoot and chimp and see how it looks and adjust the exposure and wait for the next sweep of the spotlight. Um, It's just a lot of experimentation while you're standing there.
1: Yeah. All right. What's the next question up in here? There was a philosophical question. Philosophical.
0: I see that.
3: all right. Here, here's, here's a question. question. Actually, let me read this okay. one
1: first. This is from Reg R E G. I think that's his name. No. It says I want to participate in local photo events like ASMP and photo club meetings, but I can't find the time. What other ways can you get involved in communication with other photographers? What do you, what do you Ron? What do you think? How do you, how do you uh, get out there and mingle? <laughs> I think photographers. I think <laughs>
0: photographers oftentimes are not the kind of people who who like you say to, we're
1: all antisocial? Well, I don't. Believe I don't it. want
0: to talk to other people.
1: <laughs> you know, it's a lifestyle. You know, the black. The black
0: suit, the black, you know,
2: this is the way, you know. Oh, come on. We're social people. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, well, I mean, you know, the obvious answer these days is the web has got uh, huge photo communities on them, not not the least of which is, is our own over at uh, Twiplog, you know, and uh, in our our Flickr photo groups and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really think this is that's as good as any because, you know, what it does is it lets you exchange actual photos and, and comment on each other's photos and that sort of thing. So, you know, you can start off doing that if you really want to have actual you know, face-to-face uh, uh, conversations with other human beings, and there's tons of, of local photo meetups. And I, you just kind of have to make the time, though. It's it's not, you know, there's always plenty of things that can buy for your attention.
1: Yeah, I'd say real world, if you want face-to-face interaction, go to meetup.com and search for photo groups in your area. If you want online, then go to someplace like uh, Smug Mug or Flickr and engage that way you know it's the world is your oyster what's your what's your philosophical question in there (laughs) there was a question
0: are Are photographers just trophy hunters
1: yeah totally that's the next question (laughs) yeah yeah
0: exactly. (laughs) why are we thinking about this trophies at
1: 100 at a 60th of a second virtual trophies you know Yep. So
0: um, we're not hanging them on a wall, But, yeah, I think, I think that is that
1: to, to some degree. All right. I'm hunting for the next question. So vamp while I find it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, and so we had a question a little bit earlier, and I'm just looking for it now. Um, oh, well, one question was, uh, should people use the effects? Uh, no, there's, there's actually two questions. One is... When you add effects to your um, photos in camera you know to sepia or whatever and, and you 're shooting raw, does it affect the raw image which i don 't think it does? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The second thing is uh, should you use the in camera controls or should you do it, you do it in post mm-hmm. and I think that I think most of us can agree tell me if i'm if i 'm off I tend to want the camera to do as little as possible, keep everything in focus, expose
2: well. Don't add. Anything. I think I think for anybody that's listening to this show, you've got you know uh, sort of a desire to up your photography level, and and yeah, that you know you want to have the greater control that post processing gives you. But you know, there's certainly a, a place for setting your camera to sepia tone or something weird, just because you know you're never going to go back and spend the extra time inside of Lightroom and Aperture to do. Uh, final tweaking you just want to get something out this you know snapshot like you know, that, that's where I consider some of those in camera processing modes to be uh, you know somewhat I guess, useful I guess I feel like whether it's Lightroom or iPhoto or
0: Aperture all of these tools have so many easy to like I just add something real quick the only time I ever think about doing that is if I'm on my iPhone and I just want to send someone something like I want to take the photo and send it to them immediately from there that's a great time to use some kind of effect on it you know mm-hmm. if, I, if I want it to look a certain way and, and there are some great tools on top of the Photoshop iphone app there's some great little adjustment tools that you can use that yeah. that uh, i can't think of off the top of my head but that you can really yeah. tilt shift tilt shift you know. bar nine <laughs> is my favorite one today it and means
1: tomorrow but right now and the one that to tilt i use shift the most is still,
0: is still the pan auto auto pan the auto oh, pano right or yeah. they, that's probably still the one that i use more than any other iphone app is stitching um little photos together
1: yeah that that sounds like a good blog post by the way just what, yes. what your favorite iphone apps are.
0: no so so the uh, Next question. I've got no, one actually, more let, question.
3: Me, let me throw in on this question real quick. Auto so, stitch.
0: Sorry, auto stitch is the name. Okay. Of it. Not auto, pano. Whatever. Go ahead, Joseph.
3: Yeah. So the question of shooting, you know, just raw and doing all your processing in post or doing some of it in the camera. My take has always been just shoot raw and do everything in post. Right. But the problem, of course, there is that you have to sit down and do everything in post you don't have that luxury of just taking a quick picture and sending it off. And so what I've found is um, I have the, that little Olympus Pen EP1 camera that I carry pretty much everywhere with me when I want something a little bit more than the iPhone, but I don't want to carry the, uh, carry the big DSLR. And I have found that I almost exclusively shoot with that camera in one of two of the art modes. There's a... Um, there's a black and white mode that just looks fantastic. It's a really kind of old black and white film grainy mode that I just love. And there's a kind of pinhole camera effect that gives nice dark vignetted edges and, and really super saturated images, really black blacks. And I love the look of both of those files. And I don't have to mess with it. I know that when I take the picture, I've got it, I'm done. As soon as I have that on my computer, I can email it. don't have to think about it. And I just find that it's it's like a, a bit of freedom. When I'm just shooting pictures for fun, pictures of my kids, whatever, something like that, I shoot with that in those modes and off I go. I don't have to sit around. Messing around on the computer when I should be doing something else,
1: oh, Joseph. That's that's a, a great point because you know personally I've never ever used any of those camera modes like those those special effects settings to do things in camera like change the the file to black and white or C P A or whatever. Um, so I I have a question and I have a question from Web seven six seven six as well. Uh, Web7676 says, do the Canon camera presets like landscape or portrait settings affect the image when you shoot camera raw? So that's the first part of the question. And my second part to you is, um, and I think I know the answer to this already, but when you're shooting in those portrait modes, you're not baking those changes into the JPEG, right? You're just – it's applying settings to the raw file and giving you just another rendition, which means – essentially if correct me if i'm wrong when you import those files that you've shot in camera black and white with you can change them to color later if you want to because the raw data is still there or is it capturing black and white jpegs so it depends on how your
3: camera's set up if you're shooting just jpeg then it's baked into the jpeg and that's it there is no going back if you're shooting raw plus jpeg the JPEG will be baked with those settings. The raw file will be a raw file. A raw file has to be in color. You can't do effects on the raw file. It's, that's kind of contrary to what it is. So the, mm-hmm. the raw file will always be its native format. If you're shooting just raw, so not raw plus JPEG, and you set your camera, let's say you set your Canon to black and white, you shoot raw, you chimp, you look at the back of the camera, and you see a black and white image. You pull it into Aperture or Lightroom, whatever, and you see a color image. You're going, well, wait a minute. What happened to the black and white? All RAW files have an embedded JPEG inside of them. That embedded JPEG is what has been made in black and white. And that embedded JPEG is what you're looking at when you look at the back of your camera. You're not actually looking at the RAW file when you look at the screen on the back of the camera. So I don't know about Lightroom, but in Aperture, you can extract the original RAW uh, raw file out of it. I'm sorry, the original JPEG out of the RAW file. Mm -hmm. So if you say you shot in black and white and you didn't shoot RAW plus JPEG and you want to pull that original black and white out of there, you can. You can extract that JPEG from it.
2: But I w- that is—I'm pretty sure—that's a lower resolution JPEG. It's not a full yes, size right. JPEG. So, Correct. the best it thing is. you would get out of that is sort of a reference for what you saw in the back of your camera, and then you'd have to kind of dial First it time. in by eye to get something similar. And, and and the other thing, the other piece of that is, I think if you're using the sort of native raw processing tools that come with the Canon or the Nikon's, you know, the their equivalent of of uh, Lightroom or Aperture, they do uh, let you effectively set all the settings correctly so that you get that same uh, image coming off of a raw file. In other words, they just dial in all the adjustment parameters to match what the camera is doing for it.
1: Yeah, that's very true. All right, Ron, since you're on a roll there, I'm going to give you the next question as well. It's from Dr. Amin or Amin. Uh, The doctor says, how can I get rid of duplicates in aperture? Aperture never warns me for importing duplicates when I am rearranging
2: my libraries. Uh, let's see. I'm I'm pretty sure that whenever you're importing, it says don't import duplicates. Uh, but, Joseph, chime
1: in there, there. If, you,
2: if you have some data.
3: Yeah, on import if you rename your master files on import, like say you, uh, well, whatever. If you rename your files on import, then when you go to import them a second time, it's looking for a file name match. So if you, you know, your file was was IMG one two three, and you named it to Bob's file, when you go to import and you check the little box that says "Do not import duplicates," it doesn't recognize it as a duplicate, and so it will import it again. So that is a flaw in in kind of the methodology of of comparing duplicates. As far as moving files around. Um, there's no duplicate detection in there, so you just got to be a bit more careful about what you're doing. But I'm, I'd have to know more about the workflow of what he's doing to know what's what's going wrong. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a third party app
2: for the Mac. Oh, I can't remember what it's called. It's basically find duplicates. There's probably a couple of them. Uh, there's the simple things that just sort of look for file names, but there is a tool out there that will um, actually sort of Look at the the image itself and do pattern matching. So even if you've got images that are named differently, uh, it will give you information about, you know, these are duplicate files uh, and allow you to clean them up after the fact. And, you know, these these uh, photo libraries are really all just uh, images in the file system that may be sort of hidden by packages, but they're all in there. So you can actually run through and do processing on them and uh, look around that way to find duplicates. Okay. Here's,
0: here's the, I think this is, this is a good one for Fred, this and this next one here. Oh, cool. Fred. <laughs> It's I know Tim it's going to be. Uh. Tim a lot. Hey, Tim. How do you keep your girlfriend uh, from getting jealous when
1: you photograph models? <laughs> 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 Tim, you're going to pay for that question, just so you know. You're, you are really going to pay for that question. Um, uh, hmm, I think the key is to have a good girlfriend that uh, <laughs> that understands... The line between vocation and recreation. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say about that. Wow, that, that, that leaves so many possibilities open. That, that's the thing. That I'm makes good it at so that. I am good at that. No, I will say that Tim, the Tim, you're going to pay for that. that. Tim, you are going to pay for that. <laughs> we have got another question from GDW. It is, what is a good side of card and speed of card? CF card, Alex. What do you What do you think? Um, you know, for me the the side the I like
0: eight gig. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's like the the, for um, and for Canon, uh, you know, I like eight gig. uh, I find that if I I get afraid that if I have 16 gigs, I'm putting too many eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. But I I know a lot of people that, that shoot great ones. I find that four gigs on a four gigs on a Canon 5D is not enough. Right. It's like 120 photos or something yeah, like that. So so it's just not enough there. So uh so for me I really need to have uh the 8 gig as a minimum uh for the for the with the cameras that I shoot with. Mm-hmm. Uh I find that uh 16 gigs as a set it's it's also a lot more expensive. You want to get them you want to get faster cards. I have the extreme twos mm-hmm. I think maybe three. I don't know. Um these are I be, should look. Are these
1: my... Lexar or um, uh, I use the SanDisk SanDisk
0: San- uh mm-hmm. and I've had variety of little problems with uh, other other card, you know, the uh, some of the other cards, and so I, I've stayed away from them, and SanDisk is the only one that's never failed,
1: so knock on wood. So that's why I, I stick with it. How about you guys? Uh, me, personally, I'm... Uh you know I, I put out a question on twitter jeez i don 't know like three or four months ago, because I was I was in the same boat I was thinking you know i 've got all these eight gigs, but these sixteen gigs are out there, and wouldn 't that be nice in a d three to have two sixteen gig cards and do what Joseph was saying, back one up to the other one in camera while i 'm shooting it 's all good. Um, so I did, and I, you know, right now I'm running. Typically, I mean, I still have my my smaller cards, but typically I'm running with the 16 gig cards in each slot in the D3, and in the D700 I have one 16 gig card in there normally, and I, you know, I cycle through them, and I haven't had any problems yet. These are Lexar cards. I haven't had any problems so far, and they're fast. They're it's hard to fill them up, and and I'm happy. You know, another, I find an- myself opening that door less. Oh, another thing that
0: is that is that I get into load load time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to load them onto my computer when I'm loading just, them onto the you're drive. You're just splitting
1: it up, Alex. So it's still the same amount of time. <laughs> it is, but but I, but if, if I only
0: have one or two, if I have less cards, like I'll, I can be doing it while I'm shooting other things right, and I right. have them, you know, there. That's um, true. And what That's I have true. is I have a bunch of them and I, it was, partially, it was, I got a little cheap. Um, uh, the ultra twos is what I have. And I have, a, I have like eight of these eight gig cards. And the reason is, is I needed a bunch of, them. we were shooting video with them and we bought them because they were the minimum speed that we needed for the video shoot. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we needed a lot of them, uh, to be able to be swapping while we're shooting. And so that's why we have those. If I got it again, the other thing to know is that if you get lower memory, uh, you know, like eight gigs or four gigs or whatever, you can get higher speeds, oftentimes for a lot less money. You know, that's typical. So 16 gig and 32 gig CF cards that are really fast Mm -hmm. are also really expensive. So those are the other things to consider. If speed is
2: something, and being able to fire those things off is something important. Uh, Ron, what do you think? Yeah, I'm kind of a bigger uh, cards is better i, I remember talking to uh, bill frakes a really well-known photographer he's worked for sports illustrated for years and the number of things and i kind of asked him this question and, and his point was that he feels there's probably more danger uh of of data loss uh when you open up the door to your camera and you pull out one card and stick another one in he's like you know i can drop it in the mud there can be you know something come by whatever he feels like the safest place for a card is in the camera, and he would rather not be swapping cards out. And I kind of agree with that, you know. So just get a really big card, stick it in there. You don't have to fiddle with pulling them out and changing it and losing one. Uh, sure, you know, if you lose the camera, or you lose the one card, then you've lost everything. But you know, generally, just the act of changing cards is a more risky thing than just keeping it in the camera.
3: Joseph, actually, I had a question for Frederick. You said that you were shooting with the two big CF cards and shooting simultaneous RAW to both of them. Right. Does that slow down? The, uh, is clearing the buffer on that camera? See, so when I shoot raw plus JPEG to the second card, I don't notice it because I'm shooting a, you know, it's a tiny little JPEG file. Mm-hmm. But have you noticed if when you're shooting, if you just, you know, bring the rain with the shutter, do you, does it fill the buffer you faster? That, that's do you have to the pause? thing with
1: with the way that I shoot. I don't bring the rain with the sh- shutter. Okay. I don't, I don't shoot. Like when I, when I am shooting high speed, I'll put it on continuous high and do bursts of maybe 10, you know, but I'm not, I'm, I'm never going to hold down that shutter and, and just rattle them off until I filled the buffer. I don't think I've ever done that. The only time that I remember filling up a buffer so that the camera had to write was when I had my Canon 10D and that was that was a while ago. That was easy to do with a couple of JPEGs, you know, but with the D three, and the D seven hundred, I you know I guess it's the way that I shoot, but I never I never get to that level where, where I'm filling everything up.
3: Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. So Alex, you know, you were saying that, that that having 120 pictures just wasn't enough. Remember, remember 35 millimeter film. Remember what it took oh. to get 100 <laughs> shots without having to reload. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I
0: was I I, I I did I did think of that when I was uh, <laughs> saying it. I was I was thinking, wow, we are so spoiled. We are so yeah, spoiled. Are. I mean, I remember loading because I used to load load all my own film, load, load my own. Um, for shooting oh, yeah. and I used to remember I'd get 42 in there you know like yeah. <laughs> i <I'd> to take another <laughs> couple extras ones when I was, I was cranking them I in was there right you know there. and uh, with my little with that little black bag yep. you know you have a little black bag yeah. and you yep. roll roll them all up and yep. and, uh, and I, I'd buy you know buy them in these the big reels yep, and the and so they, load. Yeah, yeah that bolt. was the way you
1: go when you're shooting it's a lot great. all the time that was a smart thing to do yeah
0: no I I I was uh, Right. So those are the days back when. Now, we, we, I thought we had an important question here that was talking about I've listened to 40 episodes of TWIP in the last 10 days. I am addicted now. What can I do about it? This is from Martin.
3: And the answer is resistance. is it's futile. Just futile. Yeah. Somebody else recommended that he start drinking heavily. So
1: I <laughs> um, There's a, yeah. So it reminds me of a show called Intervention. where yeah. You know, get him in a room and say, "Hey, your behavior has affected me in the following ways."
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so the um, uh, here's a question from Samuel: Is there a difference between Photoshop on the PC and Photoshop on the Mac? I see a lot of professional photographers on Macs.
1: Um, I can take that. Take it. right Photoshop Fred. on Windows versus uh, Photoshop on the Mac—is there any difference? There is an important difference.
3: What? One runs on a Mac. <laughs> <laughs> no. no, no. Actually, there's, well, a, well, there's okay, an
0: advantage well, to running on, on a PC. Let me, let me. We let run me get, into this all the time.
1: Let me give the top, the sort of the, the thirty thousand foot, okay. and then Alice can Alice can descend into the weeds a little bit. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say no. Uh, the the two applications, Photoshop, uh, Lightroom, etc., are functionally identical on both platforms so if you learn on one you can easily move to the other with the caveat that alex
0: well there's obviously <laughs> like the control and command switches and stuff right, like that of course, yeah. The, the big thing that we run into with very large files when we're stitching very large files when we're putting together very you know working with lots of layers on very large files uh is that currently and this should be this is rumored to be fixed i think actually adobe has said it uh this will be fixed with cs5 uh is that the PC version runs at 64 bit, uh, and the uh, Mac version runs at 32 bit, and uh, we find that on we're we're running more and more into this, you know, as our file sizes get bigger and as all the other processing gets bigger, we're we're constantly running into that. Uh, 32-bit limit as far, and what that means is that we can't use as much memory. The application can't get a hold of enough memory mm-hmm. to actually process the images. So, especially if you're stitching lar- very large files, you know, big, big panorama that you shot with 24 mega you know, megapixels, you, you'll run, you can run out of RAM on a Mac that right. you won't do on the PC. Okay. Um, well, uh, that, you know, just that dude. doesn't mean that. That's not mean that I'm going to use. It. We have a we dual boot almost all Anything of our machines at Windows? this point. I'm wrong what? with
1: Windows? There's nothing wrong. No, I, no
0: I'm saying, I, I'm saying, I, I, but I uh, we use. I use a Mac, but anytime we have heavy lifting, um, I have to admit right now we're in this transition phase with Snow Leopard, that uh, when we have to do heavy lifting with 3D and on Photoshop, we have a tendency to reboot into Windows 7.
1: But, you know, again, you're you're at the top of the pyramid in terms of... You know, those those 12 people in the, right. in North America that need <laughs> the horsepower that Alex Lindsay needs. Right. For the rest of us, we're kind of in the middle or the base of the pyramid. No, for the average person, there's yeah. no difference
0: between the two. Right. Yeah. For the average person, I don't know if there's a much difference between Elements and Photoshop. I mean, oh. you know, you know, from you know, heresy. No, but I mean, I'm just saying for the average person who's doing correction and That's doing true. a couple pickups and everything else, Elements is such a great solution if mm-hmm. you're not trying to do big photo editing you're not trying to do big fixes you're trying to just do little bits a little bit more than what you can do in lightroom and a little bit well there's, well, actually, there's online solutions as too. well
1: like picnic you know yeah. to do just sort of online image editing those are really cool well right? i mean but yeah. elements does a little bit
0: more than that just yeah, if you were going to say something about that uh, I, I, I was going to no. say, oh, uh, just
2: to be clear, that you know, it's not really a matter of are you a power user or not. It's purely a matter of how much memory you're eating up, and the way you eat up memory is if you're trying to do things like stitching together multiple photos so anybody's going to run into the, the memory limitations of not being on 64-bit if they're trying to you know if they've got a huge number of layers or if they're trying to bring together you know a bunch of you know 15 uh, megapixel images and combine them in some way so that that's where you run into that if you're just doing single editing on a single image then yeah you're not going to hit this memory limitation at all
1: all I,
0: right.
2: I'm just going to answer one quest- quick question, and then
0: I think we're done. Go for it. Yep. Uh, where can I get that ti- the time-lapse camera that I was talking about two weeks ago? It's called a Ricoh R10. The only thing I use it for is time-lapse. It's just that it's very small. It shoots full-resolution time-lapse, and it's built into the camera. It is not a great camera. I, 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 don't, I don't love it. I don't carry it around with me all the time. But for for a small, tiny little camera that I can put on a, on a, on a uh, GorillaPod and just have it capture a bunch of stuff that we're doing on set, uh, it's the best camera that I have found to date, And I so think far. that we, we're going to have to, we, I think, we, we, I think we we're going to wrap it. This, this, is a,
1: this is a great show. I like this. We need to do this like once a month, I think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think once a month, we'll do what, one out of every, of, out of every four shows a month. We'll make a Q and a session. What do you guys think? You're up for it? Totally. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. All right. yeah I, th- I think this was a great episode. I, yeah. I,
0: I hope, I hope people, uh, I want to thank everyone who came To the uh, to the IRC Mm -hmm. and ask the questions, Um, you know, it's a little bit uh, it's an adrenaline adventure because you don't know what's going to come up and we're not planned and everything else. But I I really feel like um, uh, this
1: was a a lot of fun. We got to think on our feet. So, um, Mr. Ron
2: Brinkman, where, where are you at on the Web? I am on Twitter as Ron Brinkman, and my blog is digitalcomposting.com, and I think I mentioned it last week, but I've got a fun little photo-related post that's still up there that might be worth checking out.
1: Yeah, that was really cool, by the way. If you haven't checked out digitalcomposting.com, Ron has a cool post up there that answers the question or or graphically answers the question about what happens when you try to photograph around things, right? Things (laughs) that are too close to your lens or things that are close to your lens or photographing, say, for example, through a chain link fence, uh, what happens? And he's got some animations up there. Um,
3: Joseph Linashki, where, where are you at online? ConfessionsofATravelJunkie.com for the blog or on the Twitters at Travel underscore Junkie.
1: Very cool. And you hate traveling, don't you? I despise it. <laughs> and Alex, where are you at?
0: Um, I am uh, I'm on the Twitters. You're Alex Lindsay, all one word.
1: Yep. And if you're looking for me, uh, I am at frederickvan.com. And also, I would encourage folks to head over to twiplog.com and sign up for our brand new newsletter. There's a form that you can't miss up there. Make sure you sign up for that. And also, you can, uh, if you want to be our friend or our fan on Facebook, we've got a nice brand new Facebook page up there as well. And uh, that's it. And we're going to be doing
0: a lot of... uh uh, a lot of work to twip log over the next uh, month. So definitely, as we get ready for 2010, there's mm-hmm. going to be a, a lot more interaction with uh, with all of you guys listening. Yep. And so, uh, so we're very, very excited about it. So uh, definitely go up there and check out what's going on. Yep. We'll talk more about it next week, yep. and uh, it's uh, it's good stuff.
1: And I think with that, it's time to take that lens cap off.